You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Dreaming of a better sleep? Tossing and turning is not your destiny. And Ollie is here to help. Ollie invites you to sink into sweet, sweet slumber to improve your mental and physical health and overall wellness. More than just melatonin, Ollie's ingredients help you unwind your mind for a delightfully dreamy drift off. Sleep is on the way at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. Monster Talk can be supported by listeners like you at Patreon.com forward slash Monster Talk or by leaving positive reviews on iTunes and other podcasting sites. Learn more at monstertalk.org forward slash support. Thanks to all of you who are supporting us in this way. We are humbled and grateful and hope that we always live up to or exceed your expectations. There's so many things wrong with the idea of justice. You can't please everyone. You can't undo crimes. You often can't guarantee that people are really guilty. And justice, at least in America, is certainly not delivered equally to everyone. And you can't make sure that when people have served their time, that they won't do more crime, or that having completed their sentences, they'll ever escape the stigma of having served time in the first place. And as if that's not bad enough, if legends are to be believed, many prisons are home to stories of inmates that seem to keep on suffering the indignities of that experience long after they've died. If legends are to be believed. It's actually quite unlike anything we've ever seen before. A giant hairy creature, part ape, part man. In Loch Ness, a 24-mile-long bottomless lake in the highlands of Scotland, it's a creature known as the Loch Ness Monster. Monster Talk. Welcome to Monster Talk, the science show about monsters. I'm Blake Smith. And I'm Karen Stolzner. In this episode of Monster Talk, we're joined again by Haley Stevens, a skeptical paranormal researcher from England who's going to talk with us about jail and prison ghosts. I had a lot of trouble getting this episode out, so I'm going to keep this intro to a minimum and just say thanks again to Haley and to Karen for their research and help on this episode. I was suffering from a tooth infection and it was a bit out of it, but at least I'm better now. Monster Talk. So, welcome back, Haley. Thank you. Hi, Haley. Hello. <laughs> Good to be back. Hey, no, if correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe your last appearance was when we were talking about Bo Nessie. Uh, no, no, I think the last one was when we were talking about well, we talked Pluckley. about ghost folklore and Pluckley, the haunted village. Pluckley, village. Oh, that's right. That's right. That's right. I'm Which, glad it was memorable, Blake. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Just don't mind me. I'm uh, not only am I drunk, but I'm He's very forgetful. So, yeah. <laughs> so, no, I, I am actually self-medicating to try to handle a toothache. So, uh, yeah, and bad short-term memory. Well, there's that. I'm also very old. I'm old and forgetful. So. <laughs> older. Older. Yeah. Yeah. So it's ridiculous. 
I, I'm losing all the hair on my head and the hair on my back's turning gray. I'm basically a silverback. So yeah, so <laughs> that's a really nice image to open the podcast with. <laughs> appropriate to this show. I'm going to edit all that out, right? All oh, right, <laughs> please don't. <laughs> it's like, uh, so this episode, how, how did we? I mean, we were kind of just in contact on Facebook and talking about ideas, and um, I, I can't quite remember how we decided to talk about haunted prisons and jails. I think it was because we were talking about kind of recent investigations and one of my most recent investigations involved a haunted prison. Ooh. Possibly. That's how That's we came. That's right, yeah. Yeah. And whereas, uh, yeah, for me, my uh, the my investigation was about eight years ago, so not so recent. Also, <laughs> we just like uh, complete sentences. <laughs> oh, my God. Wow. That just s- snuck up on us. I was just thinking, did I not complete my sentence then? And then it hit me. Yeah. No, it's it's never you. It's always Blake. Yeah. I, I, I have a condition. My apologies. I forgot. So I forgot. <laughs> oh, you yeah, you forgot. And I was just explaining to my wife how that like uh, on your Bonessi episode, we just kept talking about tire jokes. Tire jokes. Oh yeah. Oh my god. Yes. So that may be the most <laughs> puns per minute that we've ever executed on a on a podcast. So. <laughs> Really? Yeah, there was a lot. Yeah, so I don't want to retread the whole thing, but it was it was there was a lot of tired also. Just oh my gosh, like I can't remember that. I had kind of buried the tire jokes in the back of my, my <laughs> memory. And, and they should have stayed. And um, like a lake monster, they have resurfaced. That's right. That's right. <laughs> nice. <laughs> I'm remembered. Yes, exactly. So anyway, it's exciting to have you back. Uh, for listeners yes. who aren't familiar with your Spooktator podcast, um, I think that's an excellent uh, podcast about – and you talk about ghosts and ghost TV shows and ghost hunts and ghost uh, culture. Yeah. Um, yes and also we try not to but we talk a lot about true crime and just creepy stuff and horror because we're all kind of horror geeks and true crime geeks and it just leaks out uh but yeah it's mainly about ghosts and society and culture and the news and yeah it's we're just big ghost geeks really it's fun though crime crime's relevant to today's topic it is it is it is yeah so who are your co-hosts on that show? So the co-hosts who do that show with me are Paul Gannon and Charlie Revel-Smith. And Paul, is he does all sorts of um, shows and producing. Um, and by day, he's a radio host. Uh, oh, really? But he's also, yeah, he's also a giant Ghostbusters fan, uh, like massively a Ghostbusters fan. And he did, or he has a comedy show called I Ain't Afraid of No Ghost. <laughs> and he um he used to work with Derek Okora, the infamous medium over here. They did a, mm-hmm. um, a touring show called Psychic and Science. And Paul was the host for that. And they would do like ghost hunting in front of live audiences. Um, and he's been on a lot of these ghost hunting event things that you can pay to go on ghost hunts. So he did a show kind of around that experience. And that's kind of how I got to know Paul. And then Charlie Revel Smith, he, um, we have mutual friends in um, Carl Mamer, who does the Conspiracy Skeptic podcast. Yes, and um, oh, that's how I got to know. Yeah, I got to know Charlie through Carl, and he lives very close to me actually, and he writes horror um, and macabre stories, and he's got a lot of 
uh, published books, one of which is about Jeff the Talking Mongoose and other infamous hauntings nice. like that. So, yeah, it, it just seemed like a, a natural thing for us all to just do this weird little podcast, really. That's neat. Cool. Thank you. So, so today's topic is uh, ghosts associated with prisons. Mm-hmm. Yes. So, Haley, prisons and jails. Yeah, and jails. Yeah, and, and jails in America is J A I L, but in England it's what is it? G A O L. What is the deal with that? Well, it used to be. It probably is still spelled that way. But we do like if I was to write it, I would still I would write J. I would write J A I L. But yeah, it used to be with a G A O L. But that's kind of oldy English. Yeah, we you see that in Australia sometimes as well. That spelling. It always reminds me of uh, uh, the. Uh, uh, well, apparently it doesn't because I can't remember his name. Hold on a second. <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, again the alcohol. I, well, it's not. No, this is just being old. It's the um, <laughs> Oscar Wilde and uh, him him being jailed for his uh, homosexuality. Yeah. Uh, it, yeah. Yeah. So he wrote he wrote from jail. G A O L. So yeah. Anyway, I not, maybe yeah. Same, but I'm, I guess it's a topic for another show. Yeah, right. <laughs> probably so. Sorry, sorry. It just uh, reminds me of Stephen Fry, and yeah. Anyway, mm, yeah, he played uh, Oscar Wilde in a movie years ago. Yeah, it was really good. I really enjoyed that. So okay, he was a perfect person for it. Oh, he was. Yeah, Oscar Wilde was so witty. I I always liked. Um, uh, and he wrote some really fun stories too that are kind of along those you know sort of supernatural lines. The uh, uh, picture Dorian Gray. Picture Dorian Gray. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. So anyway, I don't want to digress. I, I thought we could begin um, just by talking a little bit about why uh, so many jails and prisons seem to be haunted. I mean, not only in England but in Australia uh, across the states. Well, from the times that I visited supposedly haunted jails, and I mean, there's also a case that I did a long time ago in a village in Wiltshire that had links to the local prison, which is still an operational prison at the moment. I kind of, from the way in which people kind of shared their stories and the the folklore that was associated with it, I always felt like it was people acknowledging that people were, you know, incarcerated in these places and it was probably the lowest points in their lives. They'd done bad mm-hmm. things or maybe in some cases they would have been the victims of injustice. So obviously there would have been, you know, anxiety and anger and upset mm-hmm. and so on. Um, but there was also this kind of concept that we came across from the kind of historic hauntings where there was this idea that the victims of criminals, the so people who had been murdered um, or cheated, um, would kind of haunt the people who had done these bad things to them. And mm-hmm. so there would be this kind of energy in these places. And that also the criminals, especially back in the day when in England we still executed people, especially when it was hanging and, and things like that, um, and capital punishment, that the people who were killed, the criminals themselves, would haunt the prison. They would haunt people, but they would also haunt the prisons as well. Yeah, I, I think it's curious because... Um... The idea that uh, there's some sort of uh, justice, right? I mean, that that comes up again. You know, the, 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 I think a lot of people want there to be 
uh, a punishment, right? Not just hell, but like to know that the people who have done bad things are are being punished, and and it seems like that sort of retribution or uh, uh, I say post mortem justice idea might feed into this a little bit. You know, uh, I know mm-hmm. like in America we've got like. The idea that uh, Al Capone is still in jail, even though he's been, he was in prisons, multiple prisons, and multiple prisons have stories about him still showing up there. Uh, right. Uh, we we yeah. want we want there to be, well, we want justice. We want the idea of justice, and then of course there's also the idea that people who were like in jail by mistake are showing up in prison, and that's sad. I, I don't know why that narrative happens, but it, it is. I think we want there to be some kind of like balance of the scales in the end. Yeah. Well, I think uh, just speaking of Al Capone, I remember when I went to Alcatraz, there were, when we saw one, one of uh, the cells that he'd been placed in, um, there were a number of people standing around saying, can you hear his banjo music playing? And what? <laughs> <laughs> because apparently he had a, I, in fact, I don't even think it was at that, uh, that prison. I think he when he was at Alcatraz, he was stripped of everything um, because I can't remember which prison he was in before, but I think that he had a little office in there and the room looked more like a hotel suite than yeah, um, a, a prison I, I cell. That was in Pennsylvania. I don't know why that. I'm thinking that too. I think yeah, you're right. Yeah. And yeah, he, he took a lot of liberties when he was in there, but when he was in Alcatraz, um, I, I don't think that he had right, his not, banjo. Not so much fun, right? Well, in Alcatraz, I think he was already suffering from the uh, syphilis. The syphilis, right? <laughs> yeah. The, the syphilis, uh, tertiary uh, syphilis affects your brain, and I think he was having some pretty serious problems at that point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, but I, I just remember people saying, oh, "I can hear his banjo playing." So. Did, did he play the banjo, or was like that part of his punishment? He- <laughs> <laughs> Uh, no, apparently that was that was one of his hobbies, playing the banjo. I did not know that. That's fascinating. Yeah, kind of gives me a different picture of him. Yeah, just going to say, um, when it comes to like paranormal TV shows, because a lot of them go to um, is it state penitentiaries in America uh, and the prisons over there, yeah. the, the really historic, big, scary-looking places. When they go there, they often kind of overdramatize. Um, the kind of people that would have been in the prison and I've, they kind of fit into two kind of narratives from what I've seen. And that's either they're the big, bad ghost, you know, the big, bad man, the gangster, the mobster, the murderer, whatever, or they're like the victim who should be pitied. And what you kind of find is that the, the ghost hunters on these TV shows who themselves kind of, kind of overhype their behavior and, and come across as like really macho. And um, they kind of either challenge the the really big bad ghost into some sort of a confrontation or if it's you know someone who's the victim of an injustice then there's this really kind of um sympathetic narrative and they they usually try and get the ghost to move on to the other side because they're scared of uh retribution and so on um but it always just seems to fit into one of those two kind of storylines and i know that when i visited um one of the prisons that um whose hauntings i was kind of researching when i visited chapter mallet prison the way in which uh, the people who are running the event and, and the tour guide that we met um that was kind of the narrative that they span as well and it just seemed that that was a really common theme for all of the allegedly haunted prisons that i've ever kind of encountered 
I think it's interesting too that you have these big tough people like wardens or guards, whatever term you want to use for them, and uh, inmates as well, believing in ghosts and you think they're the kinds of people that wouldn't be scared of anything. And I just wonder if there's a kind of connection there with people who work in uh, an ER and they can be particularly superstitious if you use certain words. Um, and I'm just wondering if it's a matter of people being in high stress and dangerous jobs that they're often, they have that belief in superstition and, and also inmates maybe turning to God and becoming more superstitious while they're in there and changing their ways, turning over a new leaf, that kind of thing. Because, I mean, traditionally, when you think about it, one of the kind of traditional ghosts was always the vengeful ghost. And I, I kind of guess if you were in prison because you'd killed somebody or you'd harmed somebody or something like that you, and they were dead, you would, I guess, potentially kind of be aware of the idea of a vengeful ghost and, and maybe feel a bit haunted. And I, I can remember, I think it was in um, Owen Davies' book, The Haunted, which is... Um, really really interesting i'm pretty sure there's a passage in there that i read where it, it, he kind of spoke about prisoners reporting hearing strange sounds and and there was one story that he shared from a long long time ago where prisoners could hear dripping water and they convinced themselves that it was a ghost coming to get one of them one of their victims was coming to seek revenge and actually it just turned out to be a leaky pipe and i, <laughs> I found that quite quite an interesting thing you know today obviously people misidentify things as ghosts but never really in the context of a ghost coming to get you because you killed them so so how did you get uh like i guess your most recent ghost investigation along prison lines how did you get that case or what what drove you to look into it it was the haunting of shepton mallet prison which until very recently was an active prison but um was decommissioned and i think it's being redeveloped into kind of luxury flats unfortunately um, it's, <laughs> gentrification it's really, yeah absolutely and it's it's a really interesting building um and they had been in the news because um one of the tour guides a guy called paul tool he was doing a, a tour of shepton manor prison like a public tour um and he was talking about um a guy who was hanged there a u.s serviceman who was hanged at the prison and he claims that he got burned on the hand and by like a ghost cigarette. And he's got, he did actually have the cigarette burn on his hand. And at the time, because it was very close to where I live, um, I kind of reached out to them and to see if they were in, maybe interested in somebody kind of looking into what was going on because there were alleged other things happening too. And I kind of got the cold shoulder. They weren't interested and then it emerged that they were doing ghost hunting events so you know it was very good uh publicity for that side of things and the more ghost hunting events and tours they could do obviously the longer they could keep the prison ticking over before it, it kind of went into the hands of developers and so on um and then a while a few months after they kind of made the media with that story um a chap called danny robbins here in the uk was producing a podcast called haunted and he got in touch with me to see if I would go along with them to a recording of the ep uh, of the podcast in Shepton Manor Prison because they wanted to do an episode all about ghost hunting events. And the idea is that we would go to the prison, we would go around the prison with this guy, Paul, who had been burned by the ghost, and then we would join a public ghost hunt in later on in the evening. And that's how I eventually got into Shepton Manor Prison after kind of being rejected as, you know, someone who would go in and investigate 
the alleged activity, I managed to kind of uh, not undercover as such, but kind of secretly sneaking. And they had, I don't think they had any idea that I was the the person they'd rejected by email months before. Um, <laughs> That's great. <laughs> yeah. So we, I got to go along um, to Shepton Mallet Prison and we had like, um, it was just uh, four of us walking around this huge prison. Uh, Paul, um, the tour guide who claims he got burned on the hand, um, two guys who were involved, Danny and, and another guy who were involved in the podcast recording and then Paul's wife, <laughs> the tour guide's, tour guide's wife. And um, so that was five of us actually, I can't count. And we were just walking around this prison in the dark and they were, he was telling us all the stories. And actually what kind of became really apparent to me and also to the others involved in the podcast, I think, was the fact that it was really quite sad. The stories that were being told were really sad stories and they were kind of being hyped up a little bit for tourism, which was, it it was very weird because I can understand why they were doing it. But at the same time, it just felt like there were some really tragic stories here that maybe could have been honoured in a different way. Um, Mm. And some things happened whilst we were walking around. I'm pretty sure that we were being followed by some other people who hadn't kind of declared that they were there or that we weren't supposed to know were there. Um, at one point, we were uh, Danny was interviewing Paul outside of the prison. We were about to go into the prison and we heard some noises behind us, which sounded a bit like, I thought they sounded like footsteps. Uh, somebody else suggested they sounded like chains, which is very suggestive. And I wasn't, I don't know. I am a bit of a skeptic. I will hold my hands up and um, I wasn't (laughs) convinced. And um, so Danny carried on doing the interview bit for the podcast and I heard a sound again and I went to investigate like I would on a a normal investigation. I, you know, I kind of walked very quietly down towards where the sound had come from, but I couldn't find anyone or anything. And um, yeah. And then when a little bit later on, we were in the condemned man's cell and Paul, the tour guide, was doing his bit, telling us about um, what would happen to the people who were held there and how there was a secret doorway they were led through to the gallows. And um, the very famous hangman in Britain, um, I think it was Albert Pierpoint or Alfred Pierpoint, would um, take them from the cell and hang them within like 20 seconds. But the American airmen that were... Um, imprisoned there and later hanged would be on the gallows for up to 20 minutes and it was it was really kind of sad stuff to be hearing about and then we went through to the room where the gallows would have been and he was telling us the story about how he got allegedly burned um, by this U.S. serviceman and it was you know it was very sad and you kind of felt very the very oppressive atmosphere there and you could definitely imagine people thinking that it was haunted but then they took us outside um, down to the room, and, and this is a bit gross, but basically below the gallows was a room into which the bodies would have fallen um, until they died. Um, and they showed us this room, and as we walked in, uh, there was this mannequin hanging from the ceiling, like grotesque mannequin with blood and a noose and a sheet draped over it. And it became really apparent to all of us, I think, that they weren't necessarily... Ent- it didn't feel like they were entirely serious about... Um, the horrendous part of the place and it was all a bit cheap really um Mm. and then a little bit later on we got to join uh the ghost hunting company on their event um you know the lights were turned off and it was i didn't find the place to be at all scary i found it actually to be quite a calm 
quiet place and you know you we were standing in the area where you've got all the cells and, and the hallways and the stairways that go up to the the other floors and it was very dark but it was also really really quiet even though we're in a busy town you couldn't really hear anything um and this was meant to be scary but actually it was it wasn't anything I, I didn't find it at all scary and um I just think, yeah, it was it was very insightful to the whole kind of ghost hunting tourism industry, but also to the way in which the the very real stories um, of of the people who were incarcerated there were kind of being told for a modern kind of ghost hunting audience. Wow! Right, and what's the age of the building? I think Shepton Mallet Prison was originally established um, as a house of correction in the 1600s. Um, but then the buildings were adapted i mean it is a very old building you can definitely tell that there's some age there um and i mean back in the day it was a men's prison and they had like part of the wall uh they were showing it was pretty hard to kind of imagine it but um with with how it looks now because obviously it was a working prison about a decade ago so the modern doors and stairways and stuff but um, in the outside yard, apparently, at some point, they had one of those kind of um, wheels that, like, a, that they would make people walk on to make the wheel turn. Um, a bit like you know, in Oliver Twist. That's yeah, the yeah, only yeah, way yeah. It's the, like, you, like the mill you, wheel. And, you're you're um, going to be working, right? Right. It's human, human hard labor. Right. Right. They basically, um, the, the tour guide told us they basically worked people to death there, um, which is really horrible um and the cray twins were held there for a while and um other you know infamous gangsters were held there and but women were also held there too and one of the ghosts is said to be a lady in white who was seen walking down one of the um the wings of the prison and uh, apparently she requested that when she was hanged she wore her wedding dress and that's what you're supposed to see her in and i thought that was very sad and the tour guide, the guy who got burned on the hand, basically challenged us. He said, anybody who comes into this wing, which is where the white lady is seen, um, anyone who comes into here feels a very sinister presence and can't walk down the wing in, into the, the distance. And it was so dark that you couldn't actually see the other end of the wing. Wow. And so we just went for a walk down there. Um, the, the three of us here are recording the podcast, went for a walk down there and it just felt a little bit cold and dark, really. There's nothing sinister cold at all. spots. <laughs> well, there were also puddles on the floor. I think there were like, it was raining and I think there was a leak somewhere. So, mm. um, you know, any cold spots, um, I think could probably have been explained away. Um, mm-hmm. yeah. by, by legitimate cold and damp, right? Right. Believe it or not, yeah. And yeah. But what was interesting is the the way that it was played up, and that you know people feel a sense of presence here, and of course they do. It's a huge building with a really tall ceiling, and it's very um, oppressive. You've got the cell doors up running either side of you, and there's an anti-suicide net above you, and yeah, you know the history of the place, and it's you know it is kind of spooky, but. In a, I could have stayed there on my own, basically. I'm, you know, I'm mm. not, I'm not bigging myself up. I'm not entirely brave. I'm, I'm a bit of a coward. But I could have quite easily <laughs> stayed there on my own, no problem at all. Oh, yeah, so at it's... one point they were trying to get us to go into one of the cells, and not, none of us would go in. But that was less to do with ghosts and more to do with not trusting them to not close us in there and then throw away the key. Or pull some <laughs> kind of trick. Yeah, I can imagine that. 
<laughs> I've seen enough horror films. You know, that's all I'm saying. <laughs> all right, skeptics. You know, here's your sentence. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So yeah, it, it sounds like the place has a, a very rich history, and that's exactly the the kind of place that would uh, be reputed to be haunted. Yeah, so, yeah. What what yeah. sort of things did people report? I mean, you mentioned the woman in white, but what like what are, what are people seeing? Well, this is the interesting thing. Um, there's no that if you were going in there, if well, if I was going in there to an investigation, there isn't actually anything that you could objectively investigate. It's it tends to be sensations and feelings the only thing is that the guy got burned on the hand and lo and behold he did have a burn on his hand um and we could see it it was it looked like a cigarette burn and in my opinion that's because it was a cigarette burn and i don't think it was a cigarette that a ghost was smoking because you know i don't think ghosts can smoke cigarettes um you know Prove me wrong, but I, I suspect that either he was he was having a sneaky cigarette that his wife doesn't know about, or he got burned by a cigarette, or it was an existing wound, and I don't know. I mean, I don't want to start accusing people of faking things without having evidence to to back that claim up, but I think that probably makes sure. a lot more sense than the idea that some long-dead American serviceman who was hanged came back and burned him with a cigarette because he was being a bit mean about him. Yeah, probably. <laughs> but you know, I am a spoil sport in that sense. So. You're ruining this. What I am. <laughs> that, that theory makes sense. <laughs> so, so, so he had a fresh burn by the end of the investigation. Not this investigation, no. Um, the but the burn that he received that he claimed was from the ghost, we could still see it. Um, because it was only a few months before, gotcha. so it was still it was kind healing up. Yeah, it was like a kind of healing scar, and yeah, yeah. That's kind of objective thing that we could observe. Everything else was kind of, you know, I felt this and I I, I felt that. And then obviously they have the ghost hunting events there too overnight and they're still having those to this day. And obviously that produces a lot of, I saw this, I heard this. But then Mm -hmm. those are conducted overnight in the dark and in very suggestive kind of circumstances. I think that is a common uh, claim as well for people to say that they can smell um, smoke from a pipe uh, or yeah. that kind of thing if that person during their lifetime used to smoke a pipe. And so I think that's a just a kind of common ghost theme. It does seem to be. So when, when you were conducting the investigation, they, did they actively, well, turn out the lights um, as part of the, like the tour? Well, the interesting thing about the ghost hunting event was that they claimed, because um, the podcast team interviewed them uh, throughout the evening, and at the beginning they claimed um, that they turned off the lights in the building so that so that people could tap into their other senses, such as their their sense of smell and hearing, and sen- you know the, the general sense of what's going on around you, and and it was just. A very interesting way to phrase it because really what they're doing is turning off the lights so you can no longer see what's going on around you so mm-hmm. the slightest movement you see someone moving and like, oh it's just someone moving but suddenly you hear a shuffling sound and you don't know the source of it and it becomes mysterious and strange and spooky yeah um, favorite of tv shows yeah it was it was very interesting to see their kind of justification for turning out the main source of being able to actively observe what's going on around you like yeah let's just 
let's just stop you from being able to see what's happening. Um, yeah, yeah, like a commercial haunted house. It makes me think that they play pranks on people. Yeah, and I there is no obviously there's no evidence that they do that, but they conduct things like Ouija board sessions and table tipping, and um, they do glass divination where you know they turn the glass upside down and put their fingers on top, and um, the kind of things that you see on on ghost hunting television shows. They use the kind of um, the gadgets and the gizmos that um, are made popular by shows like Ghost Ghost Hunters and the people who are going there tend uh, who pay i think they pay up to 65 pounds per person to go there for six hours wow wow yeah it is a lot of money and the people who tend to go to these things are either people who watch paranormal television shows so already have an idea of you know what to expect and or they're the kind of people who are looking for some kind of evidence that there's something else and um, my Spooktator co-host Paul, who used to do a lot of these ghost hunting events because he was quite curious about what happens on them, he um, has often spoken on the show about how there are some people who at- attend the events who are there because they want to make contact not with the famous ghost that's said to haunt the place they're going, but they're looking to contact the ghost of their husband or their brother who's passed away. And, you know, there's a very personal aspect of it, so they're very invested in it. And so there is, I think, I think there's a kind of a line where it goes from being an entertainment and fun event to something that's a little bit, um, something else, kind of not preying as such on, on the vulnerable because people can make decisions for themselves about the events they go on, but it's, it becomes less entertainment and more very, very serious and concerning in my opinion. Yeah. Yeah could see people treating these kinds of things like they're visiting a medium if they believe in that sort of thing and exactly and, and the science is anything but scientific but it gives it that kind of um it it gives it that kind of authenticity that actually it probably doesn't deserve mm-hmm. yeah i was thinking about the uh the, the whole setting of a jail has a sort of creepiness to it people are already considering like uh the punishment aspect I'm often yeah. thinking about uh, the fact that some people consider ghosts uh, to be especially drawn to graveyards. And mm-hmm. I'm, I'm a little unclear on why a graveyard would be haunted, but yet people go out there and do their ghost scenarios. But I could see where people might want to, like, at least from a cultural perspective or story perspective, want there to be punishment for bad people or or see why someone who was like wrongly accused, like I can see a narrative perspective, why you would want there to be a ghost story associated with someone uh, in a, in a jail. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price. Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's cousin Kevin's kazoo concert in Kansas city, go Kevin or Becky's bachelorette bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? 
Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Um, but I'm thinking in terms of like uh, specific uh, claims, like like what kind of phenomena people see in jails and like what do they see that makes them believe specifically that there's something haunting going on in these in these sort of scenarios. Have you guys seen any sort of like consistent, uh, uh, like specific elements, stories that are associated with jail ghosts? Well, I guess I'm going to be going into that shortly with a, a jail that's uh, slightly newer than the one that Haley's talking about. Uh, but I, I think, as regards haunted cemeteries, I think you've got two camps of people. You've got those who think that. Uh, cemeteries must be haunted because that's where the remains of people are buried. And then on the other hand, you've got other people who think, well, they can't possibly be haunted because people are going to be haunting the places they frequented when they were alive. So they're not, their souls are not going to be in the cemetery. So I think that's the two different camps of thinking. Yeah, it could be. I mean, there's sort of, there's like a bilocation because you're right, like people lived in a house and that's where the ghost is, but their ghost is also seen at the cemetery or wherever they uh, they were associated with like particular events of their life. Uh, well, I think another common story too is uh, where you've got a uh, the mother of a child that had died who's visiting the grave site of her child, a, a, a woman who's passed, who's a ghost, who's visiting her child's grave, um, that kind of thing, that, that kind of urban legend um, is, yeah. is a common one. So I think you've got the ghosts of people visiting um, visiting graves. Yeah. Just a, uh, so yeah, around here, like the, the uh, I, my wife and I have been to a lot of graveyards where there's just huge numbers of infant mortality. I mean, like the infant mortality rate has changed a lot since like the early 20th century. Um, yeah. because of medicine improvements, but my gosh, I mean, like it, it was brutal. You would see like entire families, like with, you know, eight, 10 different dead kids within the same family, just because people didn't survive for the first year. And it's oh, like, yeah. yeah. So it was like, yeah. it makes me angry because of people who are like anti-vaccine and that sort of thing. It's like, uh, science, happen again. yeah, science has really improved like the chances of people, surviving to at least childhood but my gosh mm-hmm. uh yeah, yeah it, it's like uh oh it's, and those tiny little graves as well with oh, uh, toys and yeah yeah yes i mean the graveyard that in the village that i come from there are several gravestones that are like teddy bear shaped and they have you know like pinwheels and toys on them and it's just so mm-hmm. i mean oh obviously gosh. graveyards yeah. yeah graveyards are very stark places they're a very stark reminder of your your own mortality but when you see a child's gravestone now it's it's very it obviously it doesn't not happen children do die um but not as commonly as they did before and you know just you know two generations ago in my family um it wasn't unheard of of people to lose children so my mum was one of six children and her cousins are from large families it, it wasn't unheard of of one or two of the the children they grew up with to have died and um so the advances in medicine are humongous now in in my generation child mortality is is a rare thing in that you don't hear about all the time so when you do see a child's gravestone it's it's a very very bold stark 
thing to see. Um, yeah. So I do yeah. wonder, I think sometimes the aspects of hauntings are that we don't want to forget um, what's happened to people in the past, because I think in a way, if we don't forget what's happened, then we won't be forgotten. And we're doing like our duty to the dead to, rem- to remember them, especially those who were killed or were maybe um, hanged or um, executed when they were innocent. And if we don't forget them, then it's like almost undoing that injustice somehow. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's a good point. Well, I suppose I should uh, tell my story, which is a, a little bit different to Haley's and I guess answers uh, Blake's question uh, as well, just about claims of uh, more modern buildings. But uh, I guess a little background on my story is that uh, this was before I was living in Denver and I was just visiting my now husband, Matt Baxter, and he and uh, his uh, paranormal, skeptical ghost hunting group were contacted by the Denver County Sheriff's Department and they had a contact there. Uh, so there were a number of cell blocks in the jail that were about to be demolished and rebuilt. And over the years, there'd been lots of ghost stories and sightings. And so the building had been evacuated. And with the building being empty, it was a great opportunity to be able to investigate the grounds. So we spent two Saturday nights there over two weekends. And this story is a bit of a scoop, really, because the place isn't known as a haunted location in Denver. Uh, the sheriff's department wanted to keep the story secret, so maybe I shouldn't really be sharing these, but uh, or maybe I'll be creating some new information for Shadowlands or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, anyway, so there were a number of tragedies that had occurred uh, in this jail, and I think that these fueled a lot of the ghost stories. So, for example, in uh, about 1974, there were two inmates who were trying to escape the jail. And they attacked a guard and they slit his throat with makeshift weapons and uh, he died. There were a number of suicides as well that took place. There was a fellow who had jumped off the third tier of the cells and he swan dived head first onto the concrete floor and just died instantly. Um, Wow. We don't know if it's true, but apparently he had a particular illness and so he was just not wanting to to live. Um, So there was another suicide as well that we were aware of where a guy had hanged himself and he wasn't found for about six hours because he'd hanged himself with bed sheets from the top bunk and it looked like he was just sitting on the lower bunk and apparently a number of guards or wardens had come past and screamed at him a few times but he just wasn't moving. It just looked like he was sitting there but he'd actually died. Wow. And um, so it was a – a unisex jail, I, I guess you could call it. So there, there were some women in some parts of the jail and one of the female prisoners had suffered a seizure and died. And when they looked into what had happened, she'd hidden a bag of cocaine in a body cavity and that had ruptured. So these are just Gosh. some of the, yeah, pretty nasty stuff. These are nice. some of the stories that we um, had found out about, which I, I guess contribute to, some of the stories I'm about to share. But this jail, it's not hundreds of years old. It was just built in the 1950s, but it was very run down, lots of old fixtures and equipment. So that was why they were demolishing it and just going to rebuild the place. But it seemed like part of the reason they were wanting to do this was because of all of the ghost stories. And who knows if that kind of thing can feed into that or if it's a a direction that comes from higher up in the government. 
but it seems like they were very, very happy to see this building gone. And uh, so part of the building that they were demolishing was used for housing violent criminals and another part was for inmates with psychological conditions. Um, so as I said, the, the cells had been evacuated before we arrived, but the, the rest of the facility was still active. And it was very strange that the entire time we were there, there was an inmate who was singing or screaming. So it was the kind of thing, if you're doing an investigation, uh, it's not good because you have this contamination of of uh, everything that you're recording. Um, so this guy was just screaming in the background and, and we found out that he was a gang member and apparently he had raped the sister of a rival gang leader. So he was trying to get some kind of insanity judgment because he was very scared about being let out. So uh, anyway, as to the uh, alleged paranormal activity in the jail, I think one of the most famous stories was that of a ghostly guard. And many inmates had reported hearing a guard walking along the, the halls, the catwalks, just jingling his keys. And there was a sound of cell doors being tugged on just to ensure that they were closed throughout the night. And um, so these sounds were, were heard throughout the night and often when there was no guard present at all. Although some inmates said that they saw the ghost of a guard and that he was wearing an old-fashioned uniform and he had a 1950s-style haircut and he had these uh, black-rimmed glasses. So he kind of looked like Buddy Holly. And uh, in exactly the, what I was picturing in my head. <laughs> yes. Wow. Yeah. And so the, the interesting thing that we discovered was that in one of the halls, there was a picture of such a guy who looked like Buddy Holly. And it turns out that this was the guard who'd been murdered back in 1974. So it seems like his picture was really prompting a lot of the sightings and a lot of a lot of the stories too, because the inmates would say, oh, that's the guy that we've seen walking up and down and then just vanishing um, and just pulling on the cells and jingling his keys. So it seems like that picture was really behind some of the activity. Mm. Um there were claims of shadow people as well, with staff and inmates reporting shadow people around the facility, shadows that would vanish or disappear into walls. And again, you've got uh, just some interesting phenomena going on in so jails. Everything's yeah. Who who's reporting the shadow people? Um, not only staff, but also inmates would but, just see a shadow person out of the corner of their eyes. Huh. And this was not associated with sleep. This was like waking kind of scenarios? Well, that's that's the thing. We're told these stories uh, indirectly, so they're secondhand stories. We're not told these by the primary sources. So it, it's hard to recreate these kinds of things. But uh, it seems like you, you had – because you've got a prison and it's it's made from – it's built from concrete and you've just got a lot of sounds and noises and, again – as I said, part of the other parts of the jail were still being used. Um, so they were still active. You just had lots of noise just coming at you from all angles. And it's really hard to determine what you're hearing and what you're seeing. Um, certainly with guards who are wandering the premises 24 hours a day, you can imagine someone waking up and half seeing something out of the corner of their eye. Um, I think this kind of thing would be common, but you had both inmates and staff who were seen shadow people mm -hmm. it, yeah that's tough there's uh talked, remember when we talked to richard wiseman about that uh the idea of like seeing stuff just out of the corner of your eye for just a second 
Uh, mm-hmm. he, he, he seemed to think that was different from the sort of uh, the shadow people hypnagogic, hypnopompic sort of experience people have. But uh, I, I guess the thing is, it's like it, it all fits into um, it, it's normal to sort of see things that are sort of constructed by your brain. So, I mean, there's a scientific reason why you might be seeing these things. But, uh, but I think there's a heightened expectation that can be associated with these places, these scary places. Yeah. yeah. I was going to say, yeah. you know, you imagine being a guard in a prison, you're going to be on alert like all the time. So it's, it's probably not that surprising that you kind of react to things that maybe you wouldn't have reacted to before. Yeah. 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 You're um, vigilant. And I, this place was known for a lot of riots as well. Uh, they had a lot wow. of trouble there. And so I think, yeah, they would have been on guard all the time. But uh, the, the next story is a little bit more into that, uh, having experience during sleep as well. And it's the uh, story of a phantom inmate. So there was an inmate who, and again, we were told this story secondhand, so uh, we, we couldn't recreate it. But one of the inmates woke up one night and just went to the toilet, which was in the cell there. And when he turned around to go back to his bunk, he saw that there was a man lying in the top bunk, but he was in an isolated cell. So he found it strange that there was someone sharing the cell with him. Yeah, no doubt. And, and this uh, <laughs> new guy, this new guy looked at him and apparently said, go back to sleep. I'm not here. <laughs> so, wow. So the, the oh. creepy. So the inmate just assumed that a new inmate had been placed in his cell with him during the night, but when he woke up the next morning, no one was there. Huh. So he raised it with the guards and they said, "No, you were alone the whole time and we were coming by every hour on the hour and checking and no one was in the cell with you." So that could be more of one of these um sleep paralysis style experiences different to the shadow people to the shadows seeing shadows yeah but it's like you know there there's a it's very likely well there's it's very unlikely that there would be a uh uh a real person there so i mean i think that the that sounds like it automatically has to be a sort of supernatural scenario because nobody's going to break into a prison to be in a room with you you know what i mean, I mean it's just very peculiar yeah, it's a, a fun story. Yeah. Uh, and again, we, we were told the story several times by different people, and they were all slightly different. So, oh, so, so I had a folk telephone. Aspect to it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Game thing I was, going. I was going to ask you if you'd if it if you heard it from the person who'd had the experience or if it was a secondhand story. Yeah, absolutely not. So, there were oh. no inmates there, unfortunately um, for us. <laughs> so, the. the <laughs> Place place was evacuated. There wasn't anyone there, but some of the the guards. And again, oh, these people okay. were pretty pretty superstitious. And uh, in fact, one of the contacts that we had, we know him through uh, Horrorfest at Starfest, a convention here in Denver. And so he's into all of that kind of thing too. And it's just amazing how many of these big tough guards that are scared of ghosts believe in ghosts. <sighs> That's a bit like so, I know a lot of people who are paramedics or doctors um who believe that the full moon um makes people more reckless and even though that you know they've got um medical training they believe that they get more 
people calling for ambulances when there's a full moon because the full moon has some kind of effect on people. It's it's kind of weird, really. It is. Uh, we we've talked about that before. This the whole idea of uh, uh, it doesn't really stand up to scrutiny, but mm-hmm. you can find anecdotal evidence to support it, right? So uh, the the idea is old it's ancient the whole idea of like uh, lunacy or like the sort of madness mm-hmm. that comes with the moon it's out oh, yeah. there and, and and it's like i've heard lots of nurses support this idea that like they get more sort of wackiness associated with it but it just doesn't hold up mathematically yet people can yeah. readily pull an idea they can like think of it uh in terms of i guess from a heuristics perspective you can find lots of reasons to support the idea but it just doesn't it doesn't actually hold true if you just look at the stats. But well, just, yeah. you know, going back to what Karen was saying about these, you know, people that you perceive to be tough and logical and they're actually really quite superstitious and it kind of, it's almost like at odds with who they are. It's always fascinated me. And do you guys know uh, Scott Lillianfeld at all? Dr. Scott Lillianfeld? He's, uh, yeah, we, we've corresponded we, he's, uh, with, from, he's at Emory, right? So. Yes, yes, a psychologist, and he's actually written about some of these myths too. There's a his book is I think fifty psychology myths, which is worth reading, and he, he treats uh, you know a lot of this lunacy and uh, people believing that things happen or occur more during uh, the full moon. So he addresses a lot of these stories. Yeah, uh, but I'm gonna. It's I mean it's it's a very popular idea. I mean it's a very popular idea, and it's it's really hard to sort of shake it because uh, the anecdotal aspect of it. People who work in that field, if they start thinking, well, it's a full moon, and there's a sort of rudimentary idea that like, well, there's more light on a full moon night, so there's going to be more crimes committed, that sort of thing. It just doesn't mm-hmm. hold true though statistically, and we we. Um, we just because it comes readily to mind, we can like say, "Oh, well, here it is." We make that association, but but um, that's a fallacy. So yeah. Oh yeah, there are other superstitions in um, emergency wards and things like that too. If someone says, "Gee, it's a quiet night tonight," that that's supposed to bring on more accidents and more people coming in, and uh, so yeah, there's a lot of superstition with those industries. But uh, I've got a few more ghost stories associated with the Denver County Jail as well. Um, There's a a haunted shower. So there was a community shower that inmates refused to use because they could feel something in there with them so so they could sense some kind of negative presence. I'm sure there are a few jokes in there somewhere. (laughs) (laughs) But but, uh, there was uh, that. There were disembodied voices which were coming from empty rooms and again we're talking about a jail that's built of concrete and steel and you've got sounds just echoing throughout the building it's often hard to determine where something's coming from um and there was a haunted library as well with staff reporting activity in a law library that they had and they i think people had seen or heard a man in the room at night when the room was locked up and there were reports of books and objects and other things moving mysteriously about the room. But uh, I think my favorite story of all of them with the Denver County Jail was a haunted telephone. And there was an office that had a phone that had only been used for emergencies. And when they upgraded their phone system, they left the phone in there. And allegedly this phone would ring occasionally, even though it wasn't connected at all. 
So um, we, we didn't hear it ring during the time that we were there, but we did get to see the phone. It was just one of those older style rotary dialer phones. But uh, anyway, the legend had it that the phone would ring before a riot or some other kind of situation that it would ring as a, a warning to the guards. So I thought that was a fun story. Yeah. I love those sorts of stories. They're awesome. <laughs> so, yeah, we were able to just uh, attribute a lot of the phenomena to natural explanations uh and once again we collected a lot of folklore and a lot of stories but uh there was no no basis that we could find for them you know, we, we could just find natural explanations and again we um you know, it's it's difficult to be able to solve a lot of these claims but just to be able to posit some kind of natural explanations helpful yeah these places accrue a lot of folklore and i mean if you think about it people being stuck in a jail uh that that's a place where folklore, uh, I guess, would be is pretty easy for it to be developed and and sort of repeated without it actually being dissipated by any kind of investigation. There's not really, this, you know. Oh, and people are leaving too. You've got because it's a jail. People are only there temporarily before they they either leave or they're moved on to prisons. So uh, you're just getting this constant effect of people coming up with stories and then they're told and yeah. retold and and they deteriorate over time. I would like to mention that, uh, at least in some sense, the McKinsey poltergeist, which we covered uh, in a very recent episode, is sort of tangentially associated with ghosts and prisons because people were being imprisoned in the uh, graveyard. And we've got mm-hmm. an ongoing investigation there where we've got people who listen to the show doing some groundwork for us. Um, I don't my, know. That's my favorite haunting, I have to say. I've it's, been there twice and it's just incredible. Oh, well, cool. I, I, it's, it, we were delighted to have Fred um, Fogarty from the, uh, from the uh, ghost uh, tours come on and talk to us. But yeah. uh, some of the uh, questions we had were questions that were sort of, uh, at least to some extent, investigatable on the ground via library type research. And so um, yeah. we're, we're having uh, some listeners look into that, and I'm very excited about it. So I don't want to spoil it because it's still an active investigation. But um, there's two aspects to it. So one is the, uh, is there an explanation for the poltergeist attacks where people are like taking the tours and seeing injuries appear? And the mm-hmm. other is, is there anything we can do to sort of test the uh, the ghost lore associated with the story? Like, wh- what about what people were reporting? The, yeah. the the story of the break in at the tomb. Like, was that does that story hold up uh, based on actual evidence, or is there any evidence to support the idea that that a homeless person really was in the tomb? And and uh, yeah, it's yeah. a really good question because yeah, well, it. I- it's a very infamous haunting, but yeah, I mean, I've been there twice and on both occasions I've challenged the poltergeist to hit me. Um, and on both occasions, it's just not bothered. And I feel like maybe I should ask it not to hit me next time. I'm going up there in August. So maybe I'll just be like, don't hit me. And then maybe I'll get hit. Hmm. Third time lucky. Yeah. reverse. (laughs) (laughs) But I think, uh, Fred working as uh, one of the tour guides there. I think he was more interested in the stories, retelling the stories rather than we had a lot of good skeptical questions and things that we wanted to discuss. But uh, I think the show was really more about folklore. Yeah. We we ran out of time for a lot of our questions, unfortunately. 
but I think I think maybe more Real will wasted. come out of that. Yeah. Well, there's that too. Case in point, you know, <laughs> we're already sitting in an hour here with Haley. We appreciate it. But, yeah. yeah. We could keep talking. <laughs> well, yeah. It's the problem with ghosts. Like there's one problem, but I mean, one of the problem with ghosts is like there's <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, you, you get the you accrue these stories, and not all of them are very testable. It's like really difficult to sort of figure out what is uh, a, a testable claim. What can we say reliably? We'll you know see again and again. We talked about yeah. that with the, the sort of the stone tape, the idea that some of these hauntings sort of play out again and again, and others are really very subjective, and it's, it's really quite a challenge. It would be interesting because there's an Edinburgh Skeptic Society and it would be really interesting to get them to go along on the tours and see if anyone gets hurt whilst they're present without necessarily declaring that they're skeptics. Because I've seen like there's a Twitter account that shares photos of Mackenzie-related um, poltergeist-related injuries. And part of me just can't help but think that maybe it's just someone faking the injuries on themselves and claiming it's a different person each time. Um I don't know. I just don't. I just don't buy it. Well, it's a possibility. And, yeah, another possibility is people just uh, you you pick up injuries and don't realize where they came from, right? I mean that that happens yeah. to me all the time where I bump into stuff and don't remember why I have an injury. Now you've got this sort of mm-hmm. uh, uh, attribution issue where maybe the, yeah. the the ghost caused it or maybe I picked it up during the tour versus I didn't notice yeah. it ahead of time. You know, or maybe you've got a three-year-old. I'm, I'm looking at a couple of bruises I've got at the moment. Like, how the <laughs> hell did I get those? And so, I haven't been to uh, any haunted sites of late, but that you um, know of, <laughs> that I know of. That's a good point. Well, yeah, <laughs> but I, I think yeah, I think we're we're going to have to go and do some kind of monster talk investigation. That the three of us can go there sometime and, and see if we get hurt. <laughs> It's it's the only way, really. I mean, I think uh, yeah. crowdfund a trip to Edinburgh is the only it's the only thing we can do for science. Mm-hmm. So, I'm yeah. going in. I'm going up there for the fringe this August, and I promise you guys that when I'm there, I'll go to the kirkyard and I'll do a Facebook live to see if I can get beaten up live on Facebook. And <laughs> Thank I'll, you. I'll do that four months to talk. <laughs> Sounds not, great. It's not just Let's for much shock. It's for science, right? So, it's for <laughs> science. Punch me in the face for science. Yeah. Is there some way I could also get a curry? I, I would really enjoy a good meal for science. So uh, <laughs> it's probably not really scientific. But anyway, I okay. Well, so what I'll plan to do is the next time I become infused with cash, I will go to Savannah and look into this ghost prison down there, the uh, the Chatham County Jail. I'm very interested in that case. And yeah, we uh, can do another show on that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I love I love Savannah. There's so many haunting stories down there, but uh, oh, it, yes. it is difficult and for me to make cemeteries. It. Oh, oh my gosh, yes. Uh, there's some beautiful cemeteries and many many legends. Yeah, I, I was in um, Savannah. It was about uh, 2008. Uh, was it, yeah, 2008 after Dragon Con. Yeah. So after I met you, the Dragon Con where I met you. Yeah. And uh, I, I've got a good friend from, is it Macon or Macon? A, I'm not Ma- sure. Ma- Macon's a real place. Yeah. Yeah. I often yep, joke yep. about it. Yeah. Yeah. She, she's now um, passed, unfortunately, but uh, I got the opportunity to meet her. It was just someone I'd known from Yahoo groups going back a, a long time ago, um, the early days of the internet being public. and um, But yeah, she took me around to a lot of, 
reputedly haunted locations in Savannah, and it's, it's a beautiful place. I'd love to get back there someday. Yeah, but that's sad. <sighs> I think you met her too, Shell, but, I mean, that's, a, that's another story. Yeah, so, but life's short. Um, it is. And that's the funny thing about ghosts. I mean, the uh, we, we all want proof that there's more to life than just this, right? I mean, the, and, you know, that's, even as a skeptic, I really, I wish, you know? I was like, I wish it was true. I wish there was sort of proof of life beyond life, like like the, the, the continuance of intelligence. And, well, I yeah. always, when I do my public talks, I used to do a talk called I'm a ghost hunter, get me out of here. And, <laughs> <laughs> nice. and I... I used to talk about how, yeah, it would be nice if there was life after death. But actually, also, there are lots of things that you have to consider. Like, well, you know, like in the X-Men, where they're worried that the mutants will be able to rob banks by walking through the walls. Ghosts can do that. What's to stop them robbing banks? And also, if ghosts are real, then it means you have to share the afterlife with horrible people, like mass murderers and serial killers and terrorists. And um, it also means that your dead relatives might be watching you when you don't want them to be watching you mm. and they'll know your secrets and ghosts are I, watching you poop and masturbate totally true yep yeah <laughs> and i think all in all you know when you die you do live on in in some ways so like uh you know my mum's gone but her garden is starting to bloom now and the flowers are all coming out and that's kind of part of her legacy and yeah we all live on in certain ways well and you're part of her legacy you know she lives yeah, on in you right so yeah, exactly. I, and I, as we talked about uh, grief hallucinations with the how common it is for people to see or smell or hear a lost loved one just after they've yeah. died. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah, it, it can be very weird. In fact, there was a very funny story where um, for about a month, every morning, I would wake up about six o'clock in the morning and I would hear someone calling my name like urgently. And I was like, oh, my God, could that, you know, I don't believe in ghosts, but could could that be mum? And then it turned out that we live just right next to a field where people walk their dogs. And then one morning I happened to be up at six anyway, and I heard someone shouting for their dog who was called Bailey. And it was brilliant. <laughs> it was just, it was hilarious. But that's interesting because I think most people don't really explore or find out why they see or hear that person. So it's yeah. interesting that you've got a, an explanation for what happened. It's a lovely it, story. Yeah. Yeah, and just knowing anyway, you know, the, the realities of paranormal experiences, when you when you have them yourself, you can kind of pause and question things a bit easier perhaps than other people. Yeah, it could be very comforting for people to have an experience sure. like that. But, you know, yeah. there's a lot of, uh, I think a lot of people who are on the believer's side of things like, well, oh, those skeptics, they don't, they don't really uh, enjoy life. They don't believe in anything mysterious and wonderful. And, I, you know, I... I, there doesn't have to be a supernatural uh, aspect to it for me to believe that that I'm carrying on, you know, the 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 life of my parents. Of course, my parents aren't dead yet, but the point is, <laughs> yeah, they, no, they, I, I, yeah, they live on through me. I mean, I'm carrying on their genetic material. I'm carrying on their stories, mm -hmm. and my With children will carry on my stories exactly. And it's like uh, these. these these we that's one aspect of immortality that I could totally get behind is that yeah uh, whether it's genetics or just the experiences or the you know the sort of stories of all the things we've done in a strange way I think uh, I, I my kids don't listen to my podcast but maybe someday they will you know and, and in some sense this is a way I'm I'm living on after I'm gone so when I'm gone 
uh, monster chuckles to survive, and my kids will be able to go back and listen, and uh, finally maybe yeah. hear yeah. hear any of the crap I told them. But maybe so. then they'll stop listening <laughs> <laughs> so. to your legacy. Yeah, but 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 jail. You know the whole idea of like justice. I mean, like there's so many aspects of of uh, our cultural desire for for justice and our, our sort of narratives around people being wrongly accused and all that stuff. I think those, those, those stories live on through ghost lore. And, uh, mm-hmm. while I, yeah. I, I mean, I'm disinclined to believe that there's going to be, you know, proof of the afterlife, uh, found in prisons or anywhere else. I do think it's worth investigating. And I think that the folklore surrounding these things are, are just, uh, a really human aspect. I mean, like it's really there's mm-hmm. really something very uh, human about uh, these stories uh, around our efforts to achieve something uh, around justice and and, and fairness, uh, even if it uh, lingers on through uh, another life or just the narrative. So, yeah, which is yeah. funny because we're yeah we're talking about the afterlife, and yet it's it is very concrete, solid human way to justify experiences for sure i mean i mean as a materialist it, it always like makes me sad to think oh well really i i, I kind of don't believe in the afterlife which means that that there isn't any justice and, and you know at least not in the afterlife and it's like the the hitler and stalin and the people that develop the packaging for dvds will never receive the justice they deserve <laughs> yeah so so it's just sad so but anyway, they are fascinating stories, and and I, I appreciate you guys looking into them. And uh, I wish I had a better story myself, but I I'm just glad oh, you it guys like another show. Yeah, but but I, it will continue. I, I really want to see what happens with the uh, the Great Forest Kirkyard, and I want to actually go down to Savannah and look into that ghost case there. I just uh, I wish I'd There's had. There's always more time. something to look into. For yeah. sure, for sure. To be continued. Yeah. And yes. uh, so thanks for joining us, Haley. I, I realized we didn't. Yes, thank c- you. It's probably late for you. Yeah. Hi. <laughs> no, it's just half past nine here at night. Um, but no, it's absolutely fine. It's been a pleasure to come and talk to you guys again. And like you said before, we could just talk and talk and talk and talk. But it's always <laughs> uh, fun. I like oh, it. It's al- always fun. It is. And we'll have to have you back again soon. Yeah. Sure, and, uh, people great. need to check out the Spook Theater podcast. It's really cool. I mm-hmm. like it. So Thank you. That's really kind. Thank you. Yeah. Monster Talk. You've been listening to Monster Talk, the science show about monsters. I'm Blake Smith. And I'm Karen Stolzner. Today you heard a discussion about jail and prison ghosts with our guest Haley Stevens. A link to her podcast, The Spooktator Podcast, will be in the show notes at monstertalk.org. Monster Talk's an official podcast of Skeptic Magazine. The views expressed in this show are those of myself and my guests and do not necessarily reflect the opinions of Skeptic Magazine or the Skeptic Society. If you're in the Frankfort, Kentucky area, you may be able to see me at the next second annual. If you're going to be in Frankfort, Kentucky this September, you can catch me speaking at the second annual CryptidCon on the weekend of September 9th and 10th. This will be at the Capitol Plaza Hotel in Frankfort, and you can get tickets at CryptidCon.com. They've got quite a lineup of cryptozoology and UFO guests this year, including Cliff and Bobo from Finding Bigfoot, Linda Godfrey of Dogman fame, Bob Gimlin, one half of the Patterson-Gimlin film team, Seth Breedlove of Small Town Monsters, and many more. And of course, me, Blake Smith, host of Monster Talk, where I'll be talking about the Kelly Hopkinsville Kentucky Goblins, right there in Kentucky. I hope to see you there. 
We hope you've enjoyed this episode of Monster Talk. Each episode, we strive to bring you the best in monster-related content with a focus on bringing scientific skepticism into the conversation. If you enjoy Monster Talk, we now have a variety of ways to support the show, all with convenient links at monstertalk.org forward slash support. That's monstertalk.org forward slash support. There we have links to our Patreon pages as well as a donation button. A great way to support the show is to buy us books from our Amazon Monster Talk wish list, which directly helps us with our research. We love used books very much, so don't feel compelled to buy new ones. And we love Kindle, and we can share our digital library with each other. Finally, without spending any money at all, you can support us by leaving a positive review at iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Positive reviews help keep us visible in iTunes, which is a great way to help us find new listeners. And please, share our show on your favorite social media platforms. Save the date for a colossal PsyCon 2018. Bigger venue, bigger stars, bigger ideas, bigger fun. Las Vegas, October the 18th to the 21st, 2018. PsyCon is already one of the planet's premier skeptical conferences where hundreds of critical thinkers come to Las Vegas, the city of illusions, to hear from the leading lights of science and skepticism. For 2018, we want PsyCon to be bigger than ever. We've even booked a bigger hotel. Come to Las Vegas at the Westgate Resort and Casino to see the brilliant and hilarious Stephen Fry on stage with Richard Dawkins. An opening night talk by Stephen Pinker on the ideas behind his new book, Enlightenment Now. The triumphant return of James the Amazing Randy. Plus, New York Times science writer Carl Zimmer, psychologist and memetics expert Susan Blackmore, the Cybabe Yvette Dontremont, virologist and advocate for science-based medicine Paul Offit, and many, many more, along with comic musician George Rubb, serving as Master of Ceremonies, a magic show from Banachek, author book signings, and of course, a Halloween costume party. It's true, conspiracy theorists, quacks peddling fake medicine, and the deniers of evolution, climate change, and vaccine science are bigger threats than ever. With PsyCon 2018, let's show them that they have just met their match. We'll see you in Las Vegas. For more information and to book your tickets, visit csiconference.org. That's psiconference.org. Monster Talk theme music is by Pete Stealing Monkeys. As always, thank you so much for listening.
Did you know that you can now subscribe to Skeptic Magazine digitally? Just grab our free Skeptic Magazine app, currently compatible with iOS, Android, PC, Mac, Kindle Fire, Kindle Fire HD, and BlackBerry Playbook. Head over to skeptic.com slash magazine slash app to find out more and download more of your favorite Skeptic content. If you like this podcast, can we recommend another one? It's called Big Picture Science. You can hear it wherever you get your podcasts, and its name tells part of the story. The big picture questions and the most interesting research in science. Seth and I are the hosts. Seth is a scientist. I am Molly, and I'm a science journalist. And we talk to people smarter than us, and we have fun along the way. The show is called Big Picture Science, and as Seth said, you can hear it wherever you get your podcasts. From the terrifying power of tornadoes to sizzling summer temperatures, AccuWeather Daily brings you the top trending weather-related story of the day, seven days a week. You can learn a lot in just a few minutes with stories about impending hurricanes, winter storms, or even what not to miss in the night sky. So listen and subscribe to AccuWeather Daily wherever you get your podcasts. That's AccuWeather Daily wherever you get your podcasts.